The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Well, okay, good morning. Welcome to Summit Church. I'm glad you're here. Uh, with the 4th of July being on Wednesday this year, which is a complete and total beatdown, um, I don't know to like say have a great 4th of July weekend today or next Sunday, but either way, I hope you have a great week. Um, hope the one day off makes you so happy. Um, so thrill, thrilled for this. Uh, but I do want to make uh, one announcement. You, you got this when you walked in. If you were here last week, we encoded a hidden message into this that a few people saw. There may or may not be another one. Um, but here's the whole reason that we're, we're doing fun little tricks like this. We want you to read this thing, this summit news, because everything you need to know is in it. So I'm trying a new trick this week. I'm going to verbally highlight none of them because they're all so important. So you got to read them all. I'm not going to tell you. You, I'm not, you can't listen. You just have to read. So do that at your leisure and um, find out what's going on. If, if you choose not to, then you will not be communicated with. If you choose to, then you will know what's going on. It's very simple. So those are the announcements for today. Read your announcements. Got it? Okay, good. Now, uh, I was not here last week. Frank did an amazing job walking through Ezra chapter four. I did a video though, where I said that this was his, that last week was his last Sunday. And if you see him in the lobby today, you're like, what are you doing? I was wrong, okay? I, I'm not good with the details. So actually today is his last Sunday. So that, that was just a mistake on my part. Today is his last Sunday. If you see him next week, then something weird has happened. But um, if you didn't get to give him a hug, give him a hug. He did a great job last week. I thank, thank him uh, for doing that. Where we ended in Ezra chapter four is that Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, had put a kibosh on the building of the temple. The whole purpose of the book was to go back, build the temple, then build the city and build a wall around the city. That's the whole purpose of Ezra and Nehemiah. But the king said, you got to stop. You got to stop doing that. And the people listened. And we're going to f- start chapter five here in just a moment, 16 years later. The work ceased for 16 years. That's, that's a long time. That's a, that's a lot of years to just do nothing when you went back to Jerusalem for the purpose of building this temple. So just stop for that period of time. That's, that's a long time, but we're going to see how God moves in chapter 5 and gets his people back on task. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in to Ezra chapter 5. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you give us your word and that we can not only read it and apply it, and it transform our lives, but Lord, we can see you, we can see your heart, we can get an image of who you are, God, uh, through it. And I just pray today that all those things happen, that we would do what we hear in the word, that we would see you clearer because of your word, and that we would leave here transformed because of you. So come and move in our midst through your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ezra chapter five, let's look at verses one and two. Now Haggai, who's a minor prophet, it's got a book in the Old Testament. It's a pretty good book, actually. And the prophet Zechariah, also a minor prophet, has a book in the Old Testament. Um, he was a descendant of Edo. They prophesied, both of them, to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel. Okay, that's important. Who was over them. God is over the prophets. God sends men and women to speak on his behalf, specifically in the Old Testament. We do not have the Holy Spirit, so he has to rise up men and women who are going to be his messengers. 
to take his will and to help people. The, the prophets primarily did one of three things. They would rebuke, go in and say, hey, God has a, a kind of a judgment for you. You're, you're messing up. They would warn, second thing. So it's, you're, you're getting close, you're flirting with the edge. You need, to, you need to be warned, you need to pay attention. Or they would encourage. They would go in and say, hey, God's telling you to do this and we encourage you to do it. I think Haggai and Zechariah did a little bit of all three with the people, the 42,000 or so that had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So they come in and they begin to speak on behalf of God, the God of Israel who is over all of them. Verse two, then Zerubbabel, the governor, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the high priest, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were there with them, supporting them, cheering them on, encouraging them. Hey, guys, you've got to get back to work. Now, Haggai, he prophesied first in the year 520 B.C., Zechariah in 519. I think their ministries overlapped a little bit, but Haggai was the first to do so. Haggai wrote in chapter 2, verse 4 of his book, but now be strong, Zerubbabel. See the encouragement. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong. Are, are you getting the theme? There's been opposition. The king of Persia told you to stop. This is not something to be taken lightly, but I need you to be strong. God is saying, hey, faithful people, leaders, be strong, be strong. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, be strong and work. Get back on task. Get back to doing what you came here to do. You didn't come here just to dwell. You came here to build. So get to work because I'm with you. I love how God comes alongside us in our times of need. You can work and you can be strong because I'm right here with you, declares the Lord Almighty. You do not need to fear even the king of Persia because I am right here with you. Verses three through five. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bonzani, okay, that's his assistant. They were most likely sent by the same Sumerian person who stopped the work 16 years earlier. So, I mean, they, they come back in, they hear that the work has begun again, and they come, and their associates with them, and they asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? Because remember at the end of chapter four, Artaxerxes said, you gotta stop until I say you can start again. King of Persia says, you're, you're, you're done. Cease and desist. I'll tell you if, if you can restart. So the question they ask is a very timely one. Who said you could do this? Do you have a decree from the king that we didn't get? That you just started rebuilding on your own? Who gave you permission? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? We, we want to know so we can prosecute them. As an adult... Has anyone ever tattled on you? Like as a kid, it happens all the time, right? You know, your brothers, your sisters, like, he did this, he touched, like all the time. But in a, as an adult, I mean, in, in your professional life, has someone ever tattled on you? It ticks you off, right? You know, I, I was a janitor in college, okay? I know that doesn't quite seem right, but I was a janitor. I cleaned the carpets at the college I went to. And one time after a conference, 
there was a box, a Sam-sized box, of chocolate, chocolate chip Otis Spunkmeyer muffins. It was laying there because it was a conference, so they'd been there to feed the conferencees. The conference is over, and I'm cleaning the floor, and I'm just looking at these muffins, and I'm the only one in the building. So I walk over, and I help myself to a couple chocolate, chocolate chip Otis Spunkmeyer muffins. I'm not going to eat them then because I'm on the clock. I stuffed my kangaroo pouch in my hoodie full of about six of them. Another student, now an older student, a woman, she walks in, and she goes, what are you doing? I'm cleaning the floors. She goes, what you got in your pocket? I mean, I looked pregnant. So like, what do you got in your pocket? Got a muffin. I was told to clean this room, and I'm cleaning them up. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm doing my job. She goes, those aren't your muffins. I was like, are they your, and I, I'm not being sarcastic. I was like, are they your muffins? And she goes, no, those are, the, those are for the school. I said, I go to the school. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing what her, problem, what her deal is. She's like, you stole those. And I mean, that's like true, but I did. I'm completely in the wrong, but I don't like being told, uh, I, stole, I stole them? Like, I'm not a robber. I took them. That's a muffin. You can't steal a muffin. She goes, you need to put those back. I was like, of course I do. You're right. I was like, put them back. So I think it's over. I get a call the next day. Not from my boss, not from his boss, but his boss. A guy I've never even met before calls me into his office, and I'm like, this ought to be fun. Starts off, has to look my name up, because once again, I've never met him. Um, Todd, you literally got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, didn't you? I'm like, no, it was a muffin. <laughs> no, they weren't cookies, they were muffins. He goes, what were you thinking? And I'm like, they were, they were there. You know, I, I, I didn't, this wasn't an elaborate scheme to steal a muffin. Like I just, I, I, was, I was thinking I wanted a muffin tomorrow morning, you know? And so he's like, well, I'm gonna have to write you up. And I said, for what? He goes, you stole the muffins. And I said, I put them back. Like I didn't, it, it's not, I didn't even have crumbs on my face. I put the muffins back. If it turns out that this woman had gone straight to the physical plant where like my boss's boss's boss sat in an office and had much better things to do than write me up for putting a muffin in my pocket. But she goes and she tattles on me. And I, I mean, I'm a, I don't, I'm not quick to forgive, but I, I feel like I'm decently gracious. Every time I saw that girl for the next two and a half years of college, I just wanted to yell at her. You, you tattled on me. Like, the, the deal was that you caught me. I said I was sorry. I put them up in space. But you tattled on me. And this, that, that, like, went on my record. And that's exactly what these people are doing. We need names. We need phone numbers. We need titles. We need to know who that guy is over there swinging the hammer. We need to know who that is getting that shipment of lumber. We need to know everything about this because we're going straight to the king who said you couldn't build here anymore. And we're going to tell him that you're building again. And then you're going to be in big trouble. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this conversation where Zerubbabel and Joshua are going, we finally are back on track. Like we're finally doing what God sent us here to do. The people are rallied. Haggai and Zechariah have come in and got everyone turned back up. Like it's good. And then you're gonna come back in here now, 16 years later, and go, you gotta stop or we're gonna tell on you. But I love how they responded. Basically, they said, go ahead. 
go ahead. We're, we are on task and we're going to stay on task. They ask for the names, verse four, of who is constructing this building, verse five, but the eye of their God, our God, the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius, who is now the king of Persia, and his written reply be received. Now, this is not sent in the form of an email, right? That has to be hand-delivered 900 miles to Babylon, has to be translated, has to be read, has to be thought through, they're gonna look up some stuff, has to have a reply written that has to be transported 900 miles back to Jerusalem, and we see how the eye of God is watching over them because this process would take the better part of six months. And they were back working. And even though these Sumerians were going to tattle on them, they're gonna have six months to keep working and they feel like they can maybe get the temple done in that amount of time. Have you ever felt in your life like God was really watching out for you? Have you ever had that moment? And if you haven't, it's a really cool feeling when you see how life plays out and you get done with a situation or scenario and you go, man, you had my back. You know, the, the money showed up just in time. The relationship shifted. So the, the person you really needed to be there was there. And you see how like, actually, this was probably all God. I've joked before with you that I'm not allowed to lead any youth trips at this church because I'm cursed. Every time when I was a youth pastor and I led a youth trip, something horrible happened. I, I, this is true. But every time I felt like God was watching us. I was with six people in a church van following a charter bus to go on a ski trip to Colorado when our van veered off, rolled one, two, three, not three complete times, but three sides. We should have been horribly injured because the only people with seatbelts were the front two people. And when the van finally came to rest, there were four of us in the back who were unrestrained. We all had individually wrapped ourselves in blankets because it was six o'clock in the morning and we're trying to sleep. Somehow, all four blankets were laid out perfectly over the glass windows that were destroyed where we ended up at rest and there wasn't a bruise among us. Now, I'm not a physics major, but that's impossible. How did my blanket and your blanket and your blanket and your blanket all get laid out flat on top of one another like a little mattress for us to land on at 55 miles an hour? Well, God's watching over us. I don't have any other explanation for that. But that's why I don't lead youth trips anymore. So, verses six through eight. Here's a copy of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Sheth Cesar Bones and I, and their associates, the officials, these were the imperial troubleshooters of Trans-Euphrates, sent to King Darius, okay? This is the report, but it's more than a report. It is a thorough letter, which we can to read now. They sent him, and it reads as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. Now, we are reading an English translation of a Hebrew and Aramaic script. So one possibility is that whatever they put there as the greeting, there's no translation for it, so the English translation is it's a, some kind of cordial greeting. That, or this is the worst start to a letter ever, because I am going to send an email this week that begins cordial greetings. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Cordial greetings, king of Persia, King Darius. The king should know 
We have discovered a great travesty in your kingdom. The king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. Now remember, most of the kings of Persia found themselves to be the great God. So the fact that the Sumerians chose to use Judah's language for their God was interesting. I think probably to try and incite Darius more than to pay reverence to him. The people, the people are building the temple. Can you believe that? They're building it with large stones and they're placing timbers in the wall. The work is being carried on with diligence and it's making rapid progress under their direction. And so now this is obviously someone trying to get someone else in trouble, but it gives us a clear picture that Haggai and Zechariah had got the will of God moving again. They're making great progress. This thing's gonna be done soon if we don't do something. Verses nine through 12, we questioned the elders and asked them, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? We also asked them for their names so that we could write them down and the names of their leaders for your information, just for your information. We're not trying to be rude. We just wanted you to know that these were the people who were leading this work. This is the answer they gave us. I love it. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. No names necessary. We'll just tell you what we're about. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago. One that a great king of Israel built and finished. That's Solomon. But because our ancestors, listen to this. I love the heart in this. Because our ancestors angered the God of heaven. He gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, the king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people back to Babylon. Now, the letter continues in verses 13 through 17, but I want to stop there. Because that's some great humility. You know, I, I think a lot of times when we get through a season of suffering, we look back and we go, God, what were you doing? Where were you? What were you doing? And it's been long enough now that I think because of the, the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah, the preaching of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the, the preaching of these prophets, that they go, you brought this on yourself. You were rocking and rolling in Jerusalem, but you forgot to love God. You forgot to worship him. You started focusing on other things and he had to re-get your attention. He wanted your hearts. And the way that he chose to get your attention was to ruin your perfect little utopia. Nebuchadnezzar came in and ruined it all and, and took you into captivity for decades. He did that not because he's rude or mean, but because he wants your hearts. And I see that here in this language. We brought this on ourselves, but now our gracious God has sent us back to fix our mistake. And we're not gonna make that mistake again. We're working for him and we're building his temple and we're gonna complete it regardless of what you say. I love that language. Hindsight. When we're able to look back and see that God is always, always, always working to capture the hearts of his people. Romans 5, verses three through five. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character gives us hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, love in suffering, 
I know it's hard to see in the midst of the suffering. But when you can look back over the decades, because of God's love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us, it's all about our hearts. Picking back up with the letter, verses 13 through 17. However, okay, so they've been deported to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. We read that in chapter one, do you remember? That's where it all started with the decree. He even removed from the temple of Babylon the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. Then King Cyrus gave them to a man named Seshbazar, whom he appointed governor over the rebuild, and he told him, take these articles and go deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem. Go put them back where they came from, and then rebuild the house of God on its very site. So this Seshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem from that day to the present and has been under construction but is not yet finished. That's not completely true. They just took a 16-year break. But they were thinking about it the whole time. It's been under construction. It's not yet finished. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be made of the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. I chuckled when I finished reading this section because if the Jewish elders had simply just kept a copy of that decree from King Cyrus, this could have been cleared up real quick. But apparently in that 16-year lag, they all forgot what they were doing. They forgot what was so important and they forgot to keep the documentation. So this letter was sent back and We'll read this next week, but as we all know, when Darius does the search, he finds the decree, and he allows the building to continue. We'll we'll read that next week. Chapter 5 is an encouraging chapter. We see how God's people can become completely derailed, and then God can stir in their hearts through his word and his prophets for them to come back on course and finish the task. But I want to ask this question, just one question today. What has God called you or asked you to do that you know you've just sat on for years? Now, maybe you're not still sitting on it, but you can think back. Is is there anything that you're just like, man, I know God wanted this from me, or God wants this from me, but I'm just, this is not the right time. I'm going to sit on this for a little bit. Maybe for you, there's a neighbor that you've lived next to for five years, and you know you're supposed to go at least talk to this person, but it just doesn't ever really seem to fit. Maybe you know that you are in the wrong place profession. You know that God has a different plan for you, but you're making money and it's somewhat comfortable and you're just going to sit on this for a little bit longer. Not to get too intense because this has a lot of fingers and a lot of facets, but is, is there a lifestyle that you're currently living. And I'm thinking more like, is there, is there an addiction? 
that you know God wants to redeem you from. But each day that, that addiction wins out in each week and month and year. Is there something that God is calling you to do? But you know that, at least for right now, you're not doing it. As the band comes back up here, I was on staff at a church in Norman for five years before we started Summit. For the last year and a half of that five years, I knew I needed to go. I knew I needed to go. But I liked my job. I got paid well to do my job. I had a lot of friends there who I got to work with. But I knew so clearly that God was telling me, you gotta go. And for a year and a half, I stayed. Knowing I was not trusting the Lord, knowing I was not doing what he was wanting me to do. And it wasn't until literally I walked in and quit with no job in the future, no direction, no idea, but just knowing I needed to be gone. It wasn't until I did that that God revealed the next step. Now, that was a crazy six months. When you just walk in and go, uh, I'm done in two weeks, and I don't know what I'm doing next. Now, don't want you to think for one second that I had all this tremendous faith, okay? My wife had just graduated from PA school, so I had a sugar mama. <laughs> kind of covering. Not everyone has that, and I'm sure that is what gave me the last little boost of faith to do what God had been telling me to do for a year and a half. This, this wouldn't have happened had I not listened finally and moved. And in hindsight, I can see all that. But in it, when you're in it, trust me, I know, it's so hard. Am I really hearing you, God? Am I not? Uh, I'm going I'm to wait here until you make it really clear what you need me to do. But you know he already has. You know he already has. It's just scary. I don't know what life will look like without this. I don't know what life would look like without this career. I don't know what life would look like without this person. But you know that God is calling you. And the final thing I want to say this morning is for the person sitting in this room who knows that God is calling you to surrender your whole life to him, to trust him with your eternity, with your tomorrow, with your today, to that person who you're just, you're, you're checking this out, but you feel like God is calling you and you've been possibly sitting on that for five minutes or 10 years. I just wanna challenge you. I wanna encourage you to not sit on these opportunities any longer, to trust God and to surrender to him. And today, our pastors, our prayer team, this is, this is one of those days where it may be good to talk that through with someone. 
pray that through. God, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna do this, but I need to know I'm going with you with your eye upon me. So I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you about anything. I mean, something, hey, I did this a year ago, and now look, like I wanna thank God for showing me what, what I needed to do, how I needed to transform my life, or how he needed to transform it. Let's celebrate. There's communion in the corners. You can take that to remember who Jesus is and, and what he's done for you and why he's worth trusting with your life. So take that at, at your leisure. But today, let's hear God, and specifically if we have heard, but we don't like what he's calling us to do, Let's ask him to bolster our faith so we can be about what he's called us to be about. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do that for each and every person in this room, that we would trust you, that we would humbly surrender our lives to you. And the Lord, whatever we're sitting on, whatever we're holding on to that you've called us to let go of or to transform, I pray that we do that for your glory, for your purpose and for your honor, but also for the life that you have bought on our behalf, that we may have the full and abundant life that you give us in Jesus Christ. I pray that we move, and I pray that we move freely as we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand. Let's respond to him.